Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. Hello, everyone. Today, we are speaking with Tobias Becker, Head of Risk Capital Optimization at Quantile Technologies. The London-based Quantile is a provider of portfolio optimization support, including compression and risk rebalancing services. The company serves banks, hedge funds, and other financial institutions engaged in over-the-counter derivative transactions. For this FTF Exchange podcast, we're going to focus on how the financial services industry is moving toward a common language for counterparty risk. Uh, but before we dive into the questions, Tobias, could you just give us a quick overview of what you do at Quantile and then maybe a little bit about your history? Sure. Thank you, Eugene, and thank you for inviting me uh, today. So, yes, my name is Tobias Becker. I head up risk capital optimization at Quantile. Uh, what does that do? It addresses um, issues arising from risk based capital requirements, particularly in the banking industry, but not more, not only. Um, so really tries to optimize um, the position of our participants, of our clients uh, with respect to risk. There's other optimizations uh, which uh, optimize metrics like derivatives notional. So I'm focused on risk optimization. And by background, um, so I've spent a long time on trading and structuring desks at various uh, financial institutions. And uh, I've been around for a while, long enough that earlier this month, I received several messages on my phone wishing me a happy Lehman Day. That was 13 years ago, um, probably a defining moment for, for many bankers of my generation and probably one of the reasons why we're talking today. Uh, and maybe we'll, we'll come back to that later. Okay, well, maybe that's a good place to start. Just remind everyone what what Lehman Day means. Lehman Day, it's, um, ask any banker of my generation, it's the 15th of September. 15th of September 2008 is when Lehman Brothers, the US-based investment bank, filed for bankruptcy and really almost created a snowball effect, which was very close to bringing down the, the global financial system. Um, it came as a shock to politicians, to people around the world, just how integrated and interdependent the financial system is. So when you take one major institutions out of the puzzle, um, uh, the whole thing almost collapses. Um, and that was really the turning point in, uh, in bank regulation and in the way the public, including politicians, see the financial industry um, and really the start of a drive to tackle systemic risk, not to just look at the risk of an institu uh, individual institutions, but really the risk that the entire financial system as such poses uh, to, uh, to the world economy and to every one of us. Uh, I remember that day really well. I was uh, I was at a wedding for some dear friends. Had to come back from the wedding. I was working for Financial News, which you might uh, be aware of. Uh, and that at that point, it was part of Dow Jones. And uh, I remember having to work that night uh, on the Lehman story um, after after being at a wedding. That yeah, that was a big day. That was a very that and, and I, I uh, just to echo what you said, it was a scary day. 
you were not the only one who was at a wedding. I know a few bankers who got called back from a wedding over over that weekend. And I think, again, if you ask anybody, uh, do you remember where you were on the 15th of September 2008? Any banker who was around that time, he'll probably remember just like you and me. But mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the history. Um, but here we are 13 years later. Right. It did lead to sort of a rethinking of old school trade compression and old school reduction of notionals, notionals excuse me. And how does that compare uh, to using uh, the model approach to uh, reduce risk? If we look at you know how um, bank regulation has evolved, uh, there is this uh, central supervisor or committee in Basel, BCBS, Basel Committee for Banking Supervision, which st- sets global standards. They started their work in the late 80s um, and we're now at the iteration Basel 3 or even Basel 4. Uh, of their standards, uh, when they started out, we it was a very different world out there in terms of financial uh, industry. Um, active trading was not yet as uh, prevalent as as today, and and therefore the models that you n- needed to quantify risk. So what is risk? You know what is a hundred of risk, a hundred dollars of risk, for example, were not as advanced. Um, in fact, they were notional based. So when you look at derivatives. You just look at what notional uh, the contract stipulates, say $100 million, um, you derive, okay, so the risk is a fraction of that $100 million. You can apply a mathematical model or a simple percentage, but the point is you, you apply a, uh, a model to the notional. Now, that did work 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Um, it does not work anymore in a world where you don't have a single trade, but a portfolio of trades and a, por- a portfolio of offsetting trades, you know, a buys and sells and buys and sells and buys and sells, such as, you know, the typical situation that any market maker, but not even market makers, including you know, end users um, or, or frequent derivative users such as hedge funds uh, are in. So really these models had to evolve. Um, already the second iteration of banking regulation Basel II, so now we're talking mid 2000s, pre-Lehman, um, uh, evolved into uh, a framework of internal models where the bank regulator said, all right, let's let's move away from these simple notional-based models and give banks uh, a bit more freedom on how to model their risk um, and create incentives that banks invest in their risk management, their internal risk management models, and allow banks to uh, calculate their capital requirements, which act a bit like a buffer to uh, to, to a default, um, to use their internal models to calculate them. Um, that was picked up immediately by large banks around the world, this internal model-based approach. Um, then along came that 15th of September 2008, um, and subsequently regulators took a step back and looked, wait, what have we done? And looked at the variability of these internal models. Actually, the Basel Committee did a survey of major banks and said, calculate this, the risk of this trade according to your internal model, then looked at the outcomes, and the outcomes were very varied. Um, so one bank would say, I see this as 50 units of risk, call it $50 of risk. Another one would say, I see this as $120 of risk. Um, understandably, the regulator was not happy um, with the variability of the output of these internal models and said, okay, maybe we need to take a step back and uh, and standardize this risk modeling um, so that we don't end up in a situation where, you know, there's two counterparties who see the risk very differently. 
um, mm -hmm. according to their bespoke models. And that's where we are right now. So a drive to you know, standardize risk models used, uh, used by banks for their capital calculations. Uh, one mm -hmm. such uh, risk model would be SACCR. It's called the Standardized Approach to Counterparty Credit Risk, five letters. Regulators love these ac acronyms. Um, I know. Tackles, yeah. uh, tackles the, um, the yeah. risk, the counterparty risk, which is exactly what the Lehman scenario highlighted. Um, mm -hmm. So the risk of a derivative counterparty dropping out, defaulting, um, and, uh, and the exposure it creates to you, but also to the entire banking industry. So how does SACCR work better than the internal models, the CEM and SM uh, models? So the CEM and SM are, are standardized models. There's also the internal models. And you can't really say one works better than the other. They all have their place. They address different issues. SACCR is still a standardized model. So it's supposed to be robust. It's uh, supposed to be relatively simple to the extent that you know, small community banks uh, can implement it in a spreadsheet mm -hmm. without you know, buying large software. On the other hand, large international global banks will also have to implement it, uh, not in a spreadsheet, but in, in very uh, large uh, computer systems. So it's, it's a one for all uh, model. The difference to the you know, notional-based approach from 30 years ago is that it is risk-based, and that is a big change uh, for a relatively standardized model, for a simplified model, um, that finally it, it is based not on some notional, but on the true risk. Now, we can argue whether the risk is 50 or 60 or 100, but at least we should agree what is the direction of the risk. Am I long or short, as the bankers would say? Um, and that is really the fundamental uh, thing that uh, this new model uh, brings to the table. Now, compared to the internal model of the pre-Lehman uh, period, it's a simple model. Um, so there's a, some criticism, especially from large, sophisticated banks, that these this new model, SACCR, forces them to dumb down uh, compared to what they've already achieved in their internal models, which are a lot more elaborate. Um, but I think one thing that it does create, it creates a common risk language is very important, especially in uh, the things that we do at Quantal. Um, the worst situation we can be in uh, when you organize an optimization run is that a counterparty says, well, I'm plus 100 of this risk. You would expect the counterparty to be minus 100. And the counterparty says, no, I think I'm plus 30 of that risk. Well, that is a very play a bad place to, to start. Usually, you would expect symmetry. If I'm long 100, I would expect you to be short 100. Um, and, and this model, SACCR, yes, it is simple. It is based on so-called first-order risk, the primary risk factor, um, delta, uh, as, uh, as bankers uh, like to call it using Greek letters. Uh, but So it only addresses this first-order risk, uh, but it does create a common language, um, a common symmetric language that should ensure that if I think I'm long, then you should think you're short. And we need to say that the, the regulators are acting upon um, what the Basel Committee is, is suggesting. They're solely but surely making, um, requiring it. Absolutely. And and the history of this this model, SACCR, is, uh, it was actually 10 years ago, it was uh, called the non-internal model method by the Basel Committee. And that already tells you the direction. It, uh, it defines itself uh, versus what it is not, i.e. it is not an internal model. These internal models, again, 
were a bit discredited by uh, the use around the Lehman period and uh, by the large variability uh, of, of outputs they created. So it, it was called the non-internal model method. It's now called the standardized approach to counterparty uh, credit risk. That's SACCR. Right, of course. And as you have hinted, there's some some gaps and some some shortcomings for it. Could we talk a little bit about governance issues, um, a lack of a hub, and a lack and some other utilities um, that that are needed? Sure. And the best way to talk about this is to compare it to another model, which is very popular in the uh, in in the banking community when it comes to derivatives, and that's the SIM model. That's uh, the standardized initial margin model. Uh, that was crafted as a result of the requirement to post initial margin starting in 2016 and we just had another wave of counterparties coming in scope uh, in, in september so there there was a very clear governance uh, for there was a need for a standardized model ista the industry association stepped in you know, created the standardized model and did all the hard work of you know running regulators through it and uh, creating data standards um, there's a central hub where, where participants you know, upload their standardized risk data in standardized file formats um, so that it can be exchanged. Now, the reason why this exists is because with initial margin, you actually post and receive something physical. You post initial margin, securities, bonds, you know, um, and you receive them. And therefore, there is a natural need to reconcile and to spot any kind of errors, right? If you're expecting you know, 100 of initial margin and you only get 80, well, then you obviously query, where's the difference? where does the difference come from? Now that is absent in the capital space. Uh, you don't actually post capital to anybody. You don't post capital, you don't receive capital. Capital is a requirement that your regulator uh, or supervisor sets a minimum amount of capital you have to have in your bank, but you never post it to anybody. Uh, you never receive it from from any counterparty. So therefore, there's not this this natural need to reconcile data to create a central hub, um, which you know is a bit unfortunate from an optimization perspective. Because really, when you want to optimize your risk, you need solid, rock solid data. Again, you want to avoid the situation where you say I'm long 100 of risk, the counterparty says, well, I'm only short 20 of risk against you, or I'm even long 20 against. Uh, against you. So I think a lot of work needs to go into creating you know, data standards, into creating data reconciliation. We're certainly investing uh, in that area uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a lot of the um, securities operations staffs that, that have to implement some of these very, I guess, day-to-day -day realities of, of SACCR, I mean, how are their lives changing? I think uh, the main change uh, for their lives is the model is becoming risk-based. So their lives, their professional lives have uh, has become uh, risk-based. Uh, in the past, uh, very often was driven by more middle office driven uh, processes, um, such as terminating trades, partial terminating, or also new trades. Um, but um, really now you need much more of a risk view and you need that risk view, not just in your area, SACCR captures every single derivative trade in your institution. Um, so you have to look across your area. For example, you have to look across your markets area, your sales and trading area, and see what is every bit in the bank doing in the derivative space, including the treasury area, including the loan portfolio management area, and so on. So really, across all the systems, to have a lot more centralized approach and, and big picture approach. 
and again, a risk approach. So it all comes down, you may have you know, thousands of trades and typical dealers uh, have thousands of derivative trades with each other. Um, you really have to boil it down, what is my net risk um, and optimize that net risk. That is challenging uh, for banks, especially for large uh, banks uh, with, uh, with a global presence, with lots of affiliates in different jurisdictions and often with you know, an, a technological ecosystem which has grown over decades into you know, dozens of booking systems for derivatives. That is mm-hmm. the true challenge. Okay, and what about what about maintaining the quality and the integrity of, of uh, very complicated data? How are firms uh, dealing with that? Yes, there does there were some initiatives to you know standardize um, the the data for these models. Um, we have in the end created our own data standard to allow our clients to to really exchange data in a standardized way, very similar to the SIM model um, by by ISDA. Uh, six, five years ago. Um, in terms of, I think there's a, still a long way to go. Um, what we are already seeing is a certain regulatory fragmentation. So there are differences in data between, let's say, a US bank and a European bank, which are based you know, not on different model implementations, but on uh, on different regulatory guidelines. So there's a bit of a regulatory drift already coming through. Now those can be explained, you know, special US rules, let's say, versus European rules. Um, but I think there's still a long way to go for the industry um, to come to the same place where we are in the uncleared margin regulation, where you have a very efficient daily process to reconsult data, to exchange data. Um, we're not far away from there, but uh, I think we're we're on the right track finally. Um, so we're very actively reconciling data with our clients um, and on demand, you know, showing them, you know, what does your counterparty think versus what you think. Um, and I think that's typically a win-win situation in terms of you know education and understanding of of this new model. Are there any emerging technologies that you think might help with this problem? Well, there's um, of course. You, you always have to mention uh, distributed ledger technology uh, in this context. And there's a, there's a certain initiatives. Again, some are, are led by ISDA, the, the industry uh, uh, association. Um, so yes, mm-hmm. there are. Um, again, I think um, we're still in early days. Um, to give you a bit of color on the timeline, uh, most uh, US and UK banks have not yet switched to uh, to this model. SACCR are expected to switch on or before the 1st of January to, uh, next year. Um, now, Europe had a big bang um, at the end of June. They're still very much in uh, the look and feel period of, okay, we're now live on this new model, but we really have to understand how it behaves. Um, so I think uh, I think certainly the interest in the model is increasing, not just from month to month, but from week to week or almost day to day. Because uh, if you think about it, you know, in 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 only a few weeks' time, substantially, the largest part of the uh, of the financial industry will be on this will be live on this new model right? come first uh, of January at the latest. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Eugene. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. 
Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange Podcast.